be with here uh, here with you tonight. I'm looking forward to this message. About uh, about three or four months ago, the Lord put a message on my heart about living sacrifice, and as I started to do some research in the Romans, and and I love the way Paul writes. Paul writes about practical application of the word. He lived it. He walked it. He wrote about it. And the thing I love about Paul, not only did he write about it, he wrote personal letters, you know, instructing people on what he felt was the the best way to do things. And that was, you know, God's way. And so as we gather here tonight, I just want to open this in a quick prayer. And if you'll please bow, bow your heads with me. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and what he means for us, Lord, is a a living sacrifice and atonement for our sins, Father God. Lord, I ask you to please bless and enlighten each and every person here and their families, Lord. And I ask for a safe passage back home and to finish out our week with a, with a great week, Lord. Uh, triumphant in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you'll please open your Bibles to uh, Romans 12.1. I'm going to be reading out of the uh, New King James Version. I spent a lot of time in Romans... Uh, over my young, young life, and, and I've always been drawn to Romans. Uh, this particular subject has a, a, a very deep meaning to me uh, because of the way that I was raised, and I'll, I'll get into that. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, that you may prove what is, uh, that is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And sorry, that first version came out of New King James, and then the second version came out of NIV. That's my fault, John, as you pointed out. Uh, you know, as, as, I, as I started to think about this, you know, living sacrifice, I, I was talking about this to the kids uh, no more than a month ago, and I said, living sacrifice. When I hear the term living sacrifice, it almost seems like an oxymoron. I don't know if it does to you or not, but living sacrifice. Because when I think about something being sacrificed, I think about something having to die, something having to perish, something ha- having to be uh, done away with. But when you put living in front of it, now you've got a whole different meaning. When you think about someone being a living sacrifice, and there are many of them, and there's a lot of trade-offs in life, okay? Uh, people go to work every day. Uh, they trade their time, their energy, their effort for an income, for money. There's definitely a correlation between time and money. And there are some people that will tell you they're not willing to sacrifice any more of their time at their current position for any more money. They don't want that to cut into their family time. That sacrifice is not worth the price. But there, yet there's other people who say, man, if I could just, you know, if I could do this, if I could get one day a week, if I could, I could, you know, I would be able to, it would give me this freedom to pay these bills or I would be able to do this. You know, they're willing to sacrifice, but they're thinking about the end result. And they're thinking about it a little bit differently. They're both right. But it's where your heart is. And your situation that you're faced with. Growing up, I remember my, my father uh, those of you who have been around me, I, I joke openly about my father because I was punished a lot growing up. And believe me, that was all well-deserved. I did a good job of getting in trouble. And I knew the consequences. I knew that when the sun went down and I wasn't in my house, I knew I was going to get a whipping. But I made a conscious choice to 
stay there and try to score the last touchdown or try to get the winning hit. I mean, that was a choice that I made. Life is full of choices. There's always consequences for our choices. Now, my father explained to me, if you make that choice, he didn't say living sacrifice, but that's what I felt like. But, but I knew, I knew that what I was doing, I, I knew that I was going to be punished for it. There's no doubt about it. My father was very black and white. I also knew that my father was a fair man. And I'm not saying that, that I was an unfair child. I'm just saying I was usually punished in lines with what he was dealing with, with me. And so that discipline is a form of love. Now, the Bible is full of many, many disciplines. Paul in Romans 12 is writing about disciplining our flesh, our lives. In the way that Christ disciplined his life. We, you know, we can be fasting and praying and we can be. Uh, there's a number of ways to do that. I, I love the film clip that we show every year about the guy, you know, uh, are we going to have lunch? We're not having lunch. Well, I, I can't do lunch. I'm fasting. He lets everybody know that he's doing fasting. I mean, everybody in his office, people that don't even know him know he's doing fasting. Now, you talk about wearing it on your sleeve and, and putting yourself in a situation where you're out there. He's doing that. He wants everybody to know, I'm, I'm doing my fair share. I'm going above and beyond with my fasting. The funny part is he hadn't even started yet. I mean, he hadn't even started yet. But when I think about that, I think about, uh, you know, the instructions of the Bible are when you fast, you know, the Bible likes order. The, the Bible, uh, you know, the Lord really wants us to be neat. He wants us to be tidy. He wants us to be clean. You know, God doesn't want us to walk around with our clothes ripped, sitting on a corner, uh, being unshaved. You know, God wants, he likes everything in order. In the Old Testament, when we talk about sacrifices, we will be talking about uh, sacrificing an animal, going to the temple, buying a, a bird, a dove, a pigeon, and spilling the blood as an atonement for our sins. That's in the Old Testament. But we're under a new covenant. We don't have to do that anymore. I'm not even sure how that would work today. You know, if that would even work today. But... You know, in the New Testament, we're focused on Jesus and Jesus offering himself up as an atonement for our sins. Once Jesus died on the cross and said, it is done. Everything that Jesus could do for us was done. Everything. Everything. As a matter of fact, when you read, uh, you know, after uh, Jesus was taken down on the cross and, and the, the, the curtain split, you know, and the veil was open. It allowed the Holy Spirit as a gift to all of us. And they got to experience that in the upper room, you know, through the Holy Spirit. So that sacrifice, which I consider to be the greatest sacrifice, I can't imagine being a father having to sacrifice your son and not even knowing if people are going to accept it if people are willing to accept that. You know, we're willing to sacrifice for many things. I mean, people will save money. They'll send their kids to school. We were having dinner with a kid tonight. He's, he's going to Sam Houston. He's a freshman. Uh, Shelly asked him a simple question. Who's going to be your roommate? He said, um, what was Travis's friend name? Taylor. Shelly said, are you going to be Taylor's roommate? He said, no, I'm not. I'm not. And Shelly said, well, I thought, I thought Taylor was your best friend. He is. He said, but see, Taylor put in in November 
and I just put in. So if I put in for a roommate and Taylor puts in for a roommate, he's already in the best dorm, and I don't, I don't want him to have to move out of the best dorm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to, what did he say? Uh, I can't remember what he said about the dorm life. He said, but, but I'm going to go to a not good dorm. I'm not going to use the word he used, but, uh, you know, not, it's not going to be the nicest place. But I thought, you know what? That right there, uh, that, that's a true friend. I'm not going to ask you to give up the best for me. Um, you know, we'll figure that out later. But the sincerity in him, you, you could see it in his face. I mean, uh, he really, Travis really cares about his friend Taylor. I, I don't know Taylor. I've just recently uh, met Travis through, uh, Shelly got to witness to him at the pool. He's a friend of Omar's and uh, knows Omar. And uh, it, it's, it's always interesting, though, when you look at Jesus being willing to give his life up as the ultimate sacrifice, willing to do that. But understanding that in the end, far greater would be gained for the glory in the kingdom of God. You know, my, my, my father grew up, he, worked, he routinely worked two and three jobs. That was not an uncommon thing for my father to do. He was always really stressed out about finances. Uh, my dad today is, uh, he's doing very well. 74 years old. He just buried his second sister, who was 67, who died of cancer. He's the oldest. He's the only one still alive. And he called me. Um, let's see, we buried her on Wednesday. He called me on Tuesday and he said, uh, I've got something to tell you. I want to share this with you. And, and this was really funny. And I thought it was going to be really heavy and, and deep and profound. And he said, uh, I bought a boat. I'm going to start fishing. My dad and I grew up, we did a lot of fishing. And he said, uh, I'm going to start uh, living a little more and I'm going to start enjoying myself a little more. I guess the realization of burying his second sister has been a sobering effect of you can't take it with you. But then I found something else out. Uh, my father's remarried and his wife's daughter was living in California and she's disabled and she has an 18 year old boy and they lost their house in California in the housing crunch and they invited them to move in. And the second part of his conversation with me was a little more serious. He said, you know, the room you stay in when you and Gunnar come here and we go there and we make sausage with them. It's like an annual thing. I said, yeah, yeah. What's going on? He said, well, I got a new TV in there for you. And I thought, man, that's great. I got a new TV. My dad's spending money. He said, but I, I bought it for them. Because they don't have anything and we've, we're going to have them move into our house. And uh, Cole's 18 years old. You haven't met him. He's a great kid. He wants to be an orthopedist. He's going to go to Victoria College, which I guess is a four-year college. And uh, Cole likes to fish, so I'm going to take him fishing. In other words, my dad's going to be a father to him, which I think is a great thing. And I told my father, I said, Dad, I really respect that. You've worked very hard for your money. I really respect that. And, and, I, and I love the fact that he wanted to tell me that in person. I love the fact that he, he kept telling me, I left you a message. Did you get it? And Shelly, I'll tell you, he didn't leave me a message. There was no message there. I don't know what he was thinking about. Maybe he was stressed with the funeral and everything. But, you know, Jesus showed us what love and being a living sacrifice is. To give it all up. To not hold on to anything. Nothing. When he said it is done, it was done. And I don't think people really understand that everything that Jesus has done is done for us. The gift is there. It's all we have to do 
is accept that, that challenge, that gift, and, and walk with Him. Uh, Jesus showed us uh, what love is and what being a living sacrifice is. His selfless actions benefited everyone who is willing to accept this gift of salvation, Jew and Gentile, through Jesus' sacrifice. He benefited everyone who is willing to accept His great gift of love and salvation. And the key there is of love and salvation. So you can, you can enter into an agreement. You can enter into a contract. Uh, you know, we talk about this all the time with the kids. You know, it's one thing to say thing. It's another thing to do thing. And from time to time, you know, you can ask them a question. And, you know, I'll say, well, did you understand that? And they'll say, absolutely understood that. You know, it's not lining up. And so we'll go back and we'll reteach it. And you'll ask them again. You know, you're starting to get that. What does that mean to you? And the great thing about children is... They'll really open up their hearts. They'll share with you. They, you know, they, they usually don't have a hidden agenda. They might be a little bit embarrassed in the beginning, but, but, you know, they really long for a relationship with God. They know that that's pure and they know that's true. And it's just like the Bible says, uh, believe like a child. The children believe when you say they're healed, they skip back to their chairs. Now that Barney Band-Aid might have something to do with it, you know, or SpongeBob Band-Aid, but they skip back to their chairs. They're relieved that it's over. They're relieved that it's done, that they've been healed. They accept that, hope, you know, open-heartedly. In Romans uh, 12, 4, and 5, can you put that up for me, John? If you don't have your Bible, we can read along. Just if each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many from one body and each member belong to all the others see the great thing about the body of christ is we're all different but we're all on the same team good luck may have a, a different capacity of the church as jim does as andy does as john does but the great thing is you put them all together and they can function as a team you know i, I grew up uh, always doing team sports uh, i love a team environment i love uh Watching a team come together. I was up at uh, Cy Ridge today working out. Uh, one of the kids sent me a text yesterday and said, Mr. Al, I just I got my first scholarship offer from McNeese State. I'm going to be a cowboy. I've accepted it. And I texted him back yesterday and I said, go Cowboys. Congratulations. If you don't know, McNeese is in Lake Charles. They're a Division I AA school. Outstanding school for football. Great school for football. Every year they'll have a, a major player go into the NFL. If not every year, every other year. It's pretty amazing. They recruit the Houston area really hard. He was telling me earlier that he didn't sacrifice enough with his grades, that the University of Texas came down, liked this film, uh, didn't like his grades. Nick's a great kid. His brother was the number one athlete in the country two years ago, plays football at LSU. He said that sacrifice has cost him dearly. UT had him ranked as the number five Number five football player in the Houston area. Yet no scholarship offer. He's going into his senior year. He's going to summer school. He's doing all the things he can to try to catch up to get his grades right. His coach told me today he's still not eligible. But, you know, they think he's, you know, he's, he's getting there. They're going to get there. See, that, that, that adage, pay me now, pay me later, uh, is so true. In a team environment, the great thing about a team environment is one person can be weak, the other person can be strong, they can balance each other out. In other words, there's coverage there. There's chemistry there. 
You know, I always tell people in business, people don't remember your best day. But they surely will remember your worst day. You may have one bad day in the year and you may catch the right person. Next thing you know, they're calling your VP, calling your CEO. Not too many people tell you, this is the best experience I've ever had. People expect excellence when they're dealing with you in business. They expect that. They don't expect to have your worst day. Nobody expected the well blowout with BP to still be going on in the 84th day. I didn't. I'm sure they didn't either. So in Christ, we are many from one body and each member belongs to all the others. The interesting thing is Paul's writing, each belongs to all the others. There's, there's, it almost sounds like an, an ownership there, and it, a, a dependence upon one another. If, if you're married, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, oh, I've been happily married for 11 years. I said, yeah, but you said you were married for 20. He said, yeah, and I've been happily married for 11 years. I thought he was joking. And he was. He's a good friend of mine. It's a good joke. You're supposed to laugh. But, you know, it, in that environment, it can be challenging and difficult for everybody to be on the same page all the time. It can. You know, if you're on a business team, uh, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Not everybody's lock and step. Not everybody's always doing what you think they should be doing. Uh, you know, I, I wrote this down. I often tell people before I start a business meeting, if it's my internal team that I'm working with, I'll tell them, uh, hey, guys, go back and uh, check your ego out the door. In other words, we've got to figure this out. I don't care who comes up with what, but check your ego out the door. I'm, I'm not looking for a superstar every, you know, for everybody in the meeting to be a superstar. You know, the one thing you learn about team athletics is you got, usually have one ball and one ball to go around. And if, if everybody wants the ball all the time, you get a lot of arguing and bickering and fighting and you get a lot of discourse, you know. And if nobody's willing to sacrifice, it, it's tough. Same way in business, same way in marriage. You have to make choices. Oh, usually when I say that, check your ego at the door, I usually say it boldly because I want to impress upon them the importance of the subject about checking your ego. You know, if you were to come into our staff meetings, uh, you would find out that, that good luck is a very efficient leader. And I like to talk a lot. And I joke around a lot. And good looks very patient with me. And he laughs sometimes too. But we have, we have very productive meetings. We talk about very serious subjects. We talk about uh, when we were doing the small groups, when good luck mentioned the small groups, I thought it was a wonderful idea. Now, you know, we're a small church, and I know the majority of the people in here. But I want to tell you, I am so happy to get to know the people in our small group even better so that I can communicate better, so that I can understand what they're dealing with, what they're going through. And I said it the other night, we're all going through stuff. It may not be the same stuff. It may not be to the same degree, but we're all going through something. Right? Amen? And just opening up that line of communication sometimes is enough to get you to where... I learned something about somebody in our group the other night that I never would have thought. In fact, two people. David's funny. Your son-in-law's funny. He cracked me up. For about a half an hour, 45 minutes. I saw him at Wiley's yesterday up in Humble. He cracked me up again. He came up behind me. He shocked me. But it's, it's simple things like that in truly learning who people are 
And it's great to do that in a small group environment, what I call a team environment. In fact, it's exciting when I think about it. I want to do it every week. I don't want to do it every other week. And I, I kind of dropped the hint. Well, you know, if y'all want to come back next Sunday, you know, we can, we can, you know, watch the movie or do whatever. And I think they were tired of me. I did a lot of talking, as Shelley said. I have. It's, it's amazing to witness a team that comes together that accomplish something greater than itself. You know, you hear a lot about synergy and you hear a lot about um, people overcoming obstacles and challenges. And the great thing about a team environment, there's many resources to pull from. You may lack something your, your partner may not. You may lack something your wife may not. You always hear that, you know, the opposites attract. I don't know how true that is. I don't even know if that's fundamentally sound. But as we get older, it kind of seems true, you know, to some degree. I mean, the things that I'm very deficient in, it seems like Sherry's very proficient in. And vice versa, honey. You know, marriage is similar uh, to business in many ways. You've got multiple people involved, personalities even egos, agendas that need to come together in order for a marriage to work, grow, to be healthy and successful. Uh, Shelly and I have been married for 19 years. She's really been a, a blessing. And, and I remember I met Shelly in my hometown. I won't tell you the whole story. And, but uh, I remember after about three weekends, I brought Shelly home with me to meet my mom and dad. They were still married then. And both of them uh, independently within the first 20 minutes took me outside. And they said, there's something different about Shelly. I, I just think you're going to marry her. My dad did it first and then my mom. And talk about pressure. Peer pressure. No, but, but, but there was something very unique uh, about Shelly. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, uh, it, it's hard to put your finger on it. Uh, but th- there was something about Shelly when I was around her. I wanted to be around her more. I wanted to spend more time with her, quality time with her. Uh, you know, we were very young. I was, uh, I guess I was 25 and you were 21 when we met. And then we got married. Or I was 24, you were 21. And then we got married when we were 26. But, you know, I, I told my dad, I didn't propose to Shelly until about nine months uh, after we met. But uh, And I told Shelly this too. I knew on our second date that I was going to ask Shelly to marry me. I just didn't know if she was going to say yes. You know, I guess it took me the rest of the time to get my courage up. But, uh, you know, I don't know too many people that enter into marriage and uh, think that it's not going to be a great thing. I think most people enter into marriage really looking forward to, you know, I say great thing. It's going to be a great thing. It's not going to be a, a bad experience. Um, but I started really thinking about that yesterday and today. And I said... Uh, You may find yourself feeling great about your marriage and sacrificing without any issues, or you may find yourself recommitting to what your marriage should be. Uh, The moment you start focusing on the Lord in your marriage and start focusing on each other, you don't have to worry about divorce. We talked about this a little bit in our small group. You know, marriage seems to be a a fragile thing. I have a I have a a gentleman that I work with. He's Indian and uh, their family, his family picked his wife. And I was asking him one day at work, we were having lunch, and I said, uh, oh, she's named Joe, uh, you know, Joe, how's that work? And he said, well, you know, uh, in my culture, it's, it's much different, even though I've, I've been in America for years, we just decided to do this. And uh, my family knew this other family, 
And we both went to U of H. We were both engineers. He ended up working at NASA. She ended up working for a bank downtown as a systems engineer. And I said, but how's the love part work? I mean, he says, well, you just, you learn, you, you, you grow to love each other. And then he told me, he said, in my culture, we don't have divorce like you do in, in America. It doesn't, he said, it really doesn't exist. I said, well, why do you think that is? He said, because my family's invested. My whole family. My mother, my father, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles. Her family's invested. It's not just the two of us in this. In other words, both families have, you heard the term, a lot of skin in the game. They've all got skin in the game. It's bigger than them. Culturally, it's bigger than them. They selected them for each other. Think about that. They selected them for each other. To me, that's, that's an amazing thing. Um, so they don't, they don't consider divorce. You know, we, we, we talked about this in our small group the other night. Uh, one of the things that I think our culture has missed out on is a simple word like commitment. It, it's a simple word. I commit to Shelly, Shelly commits to me. But somewhere along the line, it seems like I know when my parents divorced, I was older. It, it didn't seem to, it bothered me, but it didn't seem to bother me that much. My brother, who's older than I am, it bothered him a lot. That, that lack of commitment was really uh, deep cutting. He still talks about it today, and they've been divorced for 15 years. So actions that we take today that can have lingering effects for people around us for a long time. Good actions and bad actions. What Jesus did for us 2010 years ago is still being talked about every single day today more than it ever has. Do you realize that? More than it ever has through technology. Jim, how many people saved this month? Twenty-five? Oh, 125. You're doing good on your quota, Jim. That's all through technology. That, that's, that's being a virtual chapel. That's, that's leveraging technology. I think today we have far fewer excuses than we've ever had about our commitments, about communicating. If we'll turn to Ephesians 5, I think what will absolutely solve what the majority of we're dealing with here in culturally will be found in Ephesians 5, walk in love. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Second verse. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And I read that and I thought, unbelievable. I believe the main reason why so many marriages are failing today. It's not because of love. I think people are in love when they when they get married. I think they're not walking in love, but instead they walk in their emotions like at work, when I told you, if, if I'm having a bad day, people remember that. I think as soon as you start walking in your emotions, in your relationships. I hate to use the word doomed, but I don't see how you can recover from that. I mean, I, I think that's very tough. And then I started to think about what if the Lord, instead of unconditionally loving us, decided that he was going to do uh, he was going to deal with us on how he felt that day. I thought, you know. 
I'm sure even the Lord, when he walked the earth, uh, had some days that were better than others. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're only human, he, you know, at that point. But fortunately for us, God is love. Fortunately for us. The Bible says it's the greatest gift. We were talking about this last night. We had a young man over to our house at the table and we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the gifts of the spirit, you know, preaching, teaching, healing, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. You know, all the gifts. But it says if it's done without love, it's all for naught. So let's relay that to what we're talking about here. We're in a relationship with either our spouse or our family members or the Lord God Almighty. Without love, it's foolish. Good luck says it all the time. Don't, don't take your healing by how you feel. You may not feel a tingling. Truth of the matter is, I know I've seen people sit out in the congregation who have been healed as the healing service starts. There's no, ah, no bright light, no glitter on the ceiling, no gold on the ground. I've heard so many different stories about healing services. It's already done. And good luck will test to that. It's amazing when you're obedient. It's amazing when you believe. It's amazing when you truly walk in love what you can accomplish and can be accomplished through others. The other thing that I, that I think is just amazing about about this scripture is uh, Paul's telling us that that our success is a sweet smelling aroma. Now think about that. You know, we were we were praying before we left and I told the parents when your children are blessed, when my children are blessed, it's it's a double portion. When I see my children being blessed, it's like I'm blessed all over again. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like when we have grandkids. I can't wait to get them all sugared up and send them back. I mean, I just think that's going to be amazing. But but you know, think about think about that in the eyes of the Lord. He created us. He designed us to be in fellowship. He designed us to be in love with him. He designed us to be in love with one another. Imagine imagine how he feels when he looks down and he sees us doing what we were designed for, worshiping him in fellowship. In fellowship with one another. That's got to be incredible for him, for our father in heaven. It has to be. He has to feel like he's being blessed all over again. He created us in his image. One of the kids asked me when we were out at the camp, he said, Pastor Al, does God have a body? I said, no. Jesus had a body. He said, but it says that we were created in God's image. And I said, well, I believe the Lord's talking about our spirit man. That's what I believe he's talking about. And he looked at me and he said, well, do you think... When we go to heaven, do you, do you, you think we're going to get to see God? I mean, how's that going to work? And I said, well, the, the Bible says that no man will see his face. Maybe that's a trick thing. Maybe he doesn't have a face, right? Kind of playing with him a little bit. But, but the sincerity is he's telling me, I want to see the Lord. I want to know the Lord. And that's the sincerity of the question. I want to know that. I, I want to know. I tell them we'll have to wait till we till we find out. I have here 
We're the Lord's pride and joy. He created us for Him. To be in union with Him. He tells us, you will be my bride. I'm coming back to get you. I think about the day when Shelly and I, when we married and, uh, you know, it seems like it was yesterday. I mean, it's it's been over 19 years now, but the time has really flown by. I don't know how it's been for you, honey, but it's been great for me, you know. But but I say that in sincerity because I feel like we have we have great victory in our love. I feel like not only do we compliment each other, I feel like that what we're doing because God and I've had many people ask me. Uh, people come over the house and they'll ask me and they'll say, you know, what, what is it about you and Shelly? And I'll tell people openly, I'll say, well, we got the Jesus, Jesus is right in the middle of our marriage. <laughs> the guys are like, what? It's the truth. He is our rock. There's, there's not a lot of sway there. In fact, there's none at all. I love Shelly and I know that she loves me. Victory in love is what the Lord is asking us to walk in. Victory through our living sacrifices should be focused on on the Lord who gave all that he had. He sold all out for us. Sacrifice is different when you focus on the end result, which is pleasing to God. When you understand that you being a living sacrifice, denying yourself of things that are of this world, it says don't conform to this world anymore. When you when you understand that, then you understand that you're starting to walk in the grace of the Lord. You're starting to line yourself up with the word. When you line yourself up with the word, great things happens. One of the things that happens is it's very pleasing to God. When we focus on God and the incredible mercies he has shown each and every one of us. Then sacrifices is better than it's excuse me, it's, it's bigger than ourselves. We're in line with the word and following Christ's example and footsteps. Now think about that. We were created for his purpose. We were created in his image. God tells us I'm the God of love. Think about that. Think about this. Are you willing to put everything aside and follow the Lord? Everything. Everything that you know doesn't line up with the word. Are you willing to be a willing uh, living sacrifice for God? Are you are you willing to do what God is asking you to do in the scriptures? Are you willing to please the Lord who gave all he had so we could walk in his righteousness and glory? You have to be willing. Paul writes this letter is an application of the word. Paul saying, look, look. It's okay. It, it's, it's okay if you find yourself in a position where you shouldn't be. It's okay. But here's what's not okay. It's not okay once you understand where you are. It's not okay to realign yourself with God. He's saying, look, you need to learn these things. He's challenging them. Will you be a, a living sacrifice? Will you do as Christ did? Will you cut off those things? Will you do what's necessary to line yourself up? Will you do it? Jesus has already done what, he, what he's going to do. We need to renew our minds daily and walk in love. The greatest gift that's ever been, that's ever been offered. 
This is the service that our Heavenly Father has called us to do. Will you accept this service? Many of us already have. Some of us may need to recommit. We're all able to do what the Lord has asked us. I believe the majority of us are willing. I think the one thing that God is excited about is He created us for fellowship. He created us to be one with Him. He created us. He created us. He longs to have a relationship with us. He's in love with us. He loves you. He loves me. He's a respecter of no man, no woman. But he's calling us. Please stand to your feet. Father God, I thank you for your words, Lord. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you've done all these things for us, Lord, that you've created us. You're excited about us. Lord, I'm excited to be here at the Ark Fellowship. I'm excited about what we're doing in our small groups, Lord. Lord, I thank you for equipping us with your word to lead us this week and the rest of our lives, Father. And Lord, I ask for a special anointing upon each and every person that's here. An anointing of love and understanding. An anointing of encouragement, Father God. An anointing of trusting you, Father God. Lord, I just declare all these things in your mighty name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.